Well, as our regulars know, I uh, sometimes like to begin with a joke. It's kind of a cheap preacher's trick, though, to, uh, to, to grab the listener's attention. Congregations as, uh, as mature and sophisticated as this, they don't need those kind of cheap tricks, do we? Yeah. So there was a, a mother and a daughter sitting in a car, and uh, they were having a chat, and the, uh, the, the daughter, the little girl, says to her mum, Hey, mum, how come some of your hairs are white? And the mother says, Well, honey... That's because when little girls do things that upset, that make their mum unhappy, one of mummy's hairs turn white. And the little girl goes, oh my goodness, she's like sort of all racked with guilt, as you can imagine. Uh, but after contemplating this for a few minutes, the little girl pipes up and says, uh, so mummy, why are all of grandma's hairs white? Uh, friends, I tell that story because our passage today is looking at the things that make us unhappy in life and the things that make us happy in life. And what we're going to see is that Coelet, so that's the author to the book of Ecclesiastes, is telling us to enjoy life. But he's not saying to enjoy life because the things that make us happy outnumber the things that make us unhappy. It's actually the opposite. Coalette's message today is enjoy life's blessings even though life might be deeply unfair. Now you may say to me, well Brendan, uh, you've been telling us that Ecclesiastes is written for the most part from the point of view of an atheist. It's actually one of the things that makes Ecclesiastes stand out in the canon of scripture, sort of written from the point of view of someone who doesn't believe in God. And, and the beauty of that is that it helps are seekers to think through the meaning of life. But here's the thing. When Coalette says, enjoy life, is that simply the atheist mantra of, let's eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die? Well, the fascinating thing about uh, Coalette, as we've also said, is sometimes he switches from the atheist point of view to talk as a believer, uh, to speak about God. And so far in the book, Coalette has told us six times, this is now the sixth time that he has told us to enjoy life. And five of those times have been explicitly from the point of view of a believer. So I'll give you just one example. This is Ecclesiastes 3 verses 12 and 13. You can flick back and read it if you want. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3.12 says, I know that there's nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. And friends, this is the message of Ecclesiastes that has really transformed my life in recent weeks. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've, I've loved a whole bunch of things about this, uh, this series on Ecclesiastes, but there's one thing that's actually changed my life in recent weeks, and that is Coalette's command for Christians to stand out for our joy. Right? Christians are to stand out for our joy. So I was chatting to a young girl this week, a young Christian girl. She was telling me a story about how when her and a, a Christian friend were at, uh, it was like a local fete, and at the fate there was a, a, a stand from the local church. 
And what they were doing was they were asking people to vote on a, on a question. And the question was, do people have a soul? And so the idea was you, you sort of vote yes or no, and that would hopefully start up a gospel conversation. So these two young girls decided they'd give it a go. They had a vote and, uh, and, and started to have a chat. And after two minutes, the gentleman just said to them, you two girls are Christians, aren't you? And she uh, and the young girl says, yes, how did you know? And he said, because you're so happy. That's how it's supposed to be with Christians. We are to stand out for our joy. Now, some of you may be saying to me, but Brendan, uh, I have depression. Or Brendan, I'm dealing with family breakdown. Or Brendan, uh, what about my cancer? You see, surely you can't mean that all Christians are to stand out for their joy all the time. Well, this passage is not saying that Christians have to have a sunny disposition 100% of the time, all right? There are things that upset us, and we're going to be talking about that. But what this passage says is all Christians should be known for their joy. Not all the time, but should be known for their joy. And uh, I've got three points to help us see this today, as you can see on your, your sermon outline. So we're going to begin by seeing how Colette is very honest about how life can be unfair sometimes. There are bad things that will happen. There are things that will bring us down. And so our first point is titled, What Makes Us Unhappy? We're allowed to be unhappy as Christians. But at the same time, Colette says life is also full of blessing. Full of blessing. And so I've titled our second point, What Makes Us Happy? Now, our third point is going to then tie these two together uh, by showing that even though life can be quite unfair at times, and we should be unhappy about that, uh, God wants his children to also, at times, be joyful and happy. And uh, I've titled our third point, What Brings Us Joy? So I hope I've sort of explained exactly uh, or adequately enough what we're doing today. We're looking at how we can be the kind of Christians who are not joyful all the time, but who stand out for our joy, who stand out for our joy. So uh, let's have a look at what makes us unhappy, what makes us happy, and then what brings us joy. And uh, we kick off in uh, Ecclesiastes 9 verse 1. So Colette says, so I reflect on all this. Well, uh, we need to figure out what the all this is before we can go any further. And if you look just back a few verses uh, to verse 14 of chapter 8, chapter 8, 14, there's something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. Now, uh, every ounce of our being tells us it's not supposed to be that way, doesn't it? The righteous are supposed to be blessed. And the wicked are supposed to get their comeuppance. But Coalette, when he reflected on this, verse 1, uh, what is it? He, he said he concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean. So what he's saying here is, uh, no matter how good you are, how moral you are, how hard you work, how generous you are, how wise you are, you are just as likely to face trouble, to face adversity, and even to face death as the wicked are, and the immoral, and the lazy, and the stingy, and the foolish. 
Give me an example. Do you remember Fred Hollows? All right, he was an eye doctor here in Sydney. He spent years working in remote indigenous communities, helping with eye problems. And then he would go around to some of the poorest countries on the earth uh, to train uh, uh, the eye surgeons over there and help them figure out cheap solutions for eye problems. Now, even though his qualifications could have made him millions, he spent most of his money and his time and his energy helping the poor. He was a real-life modern-day saint. Yet he died at age 63 of cancer. Two years before retirement. Now, Toilet actually says the exact same thing down in verse 11. He's saying the same thing. Have a look. Uh, I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favour to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Now again, every fibre in our being tells us uh, that the wise should be able to put food on their table and that the brilliant should be able to get paid in the end. But sometimes they don't. Right? In 2008, American athlete Lola Jones was the world record holder for the 60 metre hurdles. That year, she won the World Indoor Championships and the World Athletic Championships for the 100-metre hurdles, making her the favourite to win the 100-metre hurdles at the Beijing Olympics. But on the penultimate hurdle in the gold medal race, she tripped and ended up coming in seventh. Right? Sometimes the race is not to the swift. Sometimes really nice people get dealt really bad hands in life. But here's the thing, <clears throat> according to Coalette, that should not stop us from enjoying the many blessings God has given us in this life. You see, smack bang in the middle of these two sections about adversity stands the commands in verses 7 to 10 to enjoy life. Now, we're going to talk about these commands in just a second, but I want us to understand Coalette's argument here. He's saying some of us trip at the second last hurdle. Some of us are waiting for that five-year checkup to see if the cancer has returned. Some of us have suffered horrible abuse in life. And some of us are suffering from debilitating mental illness. Now, Coalette is not saying be happy about those. He's saying you're allowed to be upset. That's what verses 1 to 3 and verses 11 to 12 are getting at. And what it's telling us is this is the story of us all. We have all experienced uh, some form of adversity in life. But smack bang in the middle of these, this litany of hardships comes the command to enjoy life's blessings. And so our first piece of application for today is this. Do not let yourself off the hook when it comes to joy. Right? Don't just sit there saying, oh, but Brendan, Coalette does not know how much I suffer. Actually, yes, he does. Yet he commands us not to wallow in our sorrow, but to be known overall for our joy. Well, this brings us to, uh, to the heart of this passage. Uh, this, these, these commands for joy. 
But Kohelet warms us up a bit uh, by telling us that life does have its advantages. So uh, flick back, what is it, verse 4. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. Now, in ancient times, dogs uh, were not the beloved pets that they have become today. They were actually dirty scavengers back then. And so what Kohelet is saying is, even the lowest of the animals is better off alive than the no most noble of animals uh, who might be dead. Now, why is this? Uh, because when you're dead, you have no hope, verse 4, no knowledge, verse 5, and will never partake of anything under the sun again, verse 6. Now, I say that this is a warm-up because Coalette is still speaking as an atheist here. Okay, uh, The rest of the Bible teaches that there is hope after this life. And for those who die in Christ, there is immeasurable knowledge, an eternity of knowledge, and an eternity of wonderful experiences to come in heaven. But his point is that even as an atheist, there are things to enjoy about being alive. And then in verse 7, he starts to tell us what those things are. So uh, read with me. Uh, what does he say? Go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Now, uh, Cole is not specific here on exactly what God approves of, but he is specific on what God wants. You see, the words go and eat and drink are all in the imperative. They're commands. Coalette is commanding us to enjoy our food and our wine. Now, please note, this is not a green light to gluttony and drunkenness. Okay, The Bible clearly condemns overeating and drinking so, uh, so that our inhibitions are affected by alcohol. But what is not condemned, what is actually commanded, is that God enjoy God's people, sorry, enjoy God's bounties. Right? When we're eating a meal, or sipping a glass of wine, we're to enjoy those things. Next is verse 8. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Now, why the white clothes? It's because uh, white does not absorb the harsh Middle Eastern sun. All right, it's the comfortable uh, 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 choice. And why do you anoint your head with oil? Because that was one of life's luxuries back then. See, when Jesus tells us how to fast in Matthew chapter 6, he says, don't look somber like the hypocrites do who are looking for praises from men. Instead, anoint your head with oil so that people will think you're actually looking after yourself. Now again, Coalit is not advocating that we spend thousands of dollars on Armani or Oriton or Chanel. But what he is saying is, enjoy your clothes and enjoy looking after yourself. Next is verse 9. <clears throat> enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. Uh, now, please don't hear Coalette advocating for husbands to use their wives for their own gratification or vice versa. Right? Husbands and wives are not objects that are there for our entertainment. But he's saying, enjoy yourselves together. Enjoy the one you love. And then finally, verse 10, enjoy your work. 
Uh, in fact, do it to the best of your abilities, he says, so you can get maximum enjoyment from the fruits of your labour. Now, what is Kowalek getting at here? He is saying that God has given humanity all manner of blessings. Now, these are but a, a, a selection. And those blessings have been bestowed on you and me for our enjoyment. The Apostle Paul says the exact same thing in 1 Timothy 6.17. If we don't enjoy God's bountiful blessings, then we are nothing more than spoiled little entitled brats. So a second piece of application today, it's simple. You don't have to enjoy everything in life, but enjoy the little blessings that God gives us. Enjoy them. But these two pieces of application uh, don't fit together neatly. They leave one big question. <clears throat> how do we do this? Right, how can I enjoy my, my meal when I'm seriously worried if I'm going to be able to afford to, uh, to, to buy the next one? How can I enjoy just one glass of wine when I'm actually weighed down with clinical depression? How can I enjoy my wife when we're constantly at each other's throats? How can I look presentable when my body is riddled with cancer? Well, the answer to these questions is, <clears throat> like I said at the beginning, we don't have to be happy all the time, but we need to change our focus. Right? We need to stop focusing on all the things that make life unfair doesn't mean we ignore them, but we take our gaze off them and we turn our gaze to God's blessings. So let me explain it this way. Uh, who can tell me what Jesus' first miracle was? Does anyone remember that? Jesus' first miracle? Water to wine. John chapter 2. Okay. Uh, in John chapter 2, Jesus and his disciples are invited to a wedding in Cana where a very serious social faux pas occurs. The wine runs out. Now, why is this so serious? Because back then, in Jesus' day, the groom had one job, just one job, and that was to keep the wine flowing. Now, why was that uh, so important? Because wine in the Bible is a symbol of joy. And if the wine stops, then the joy stops at this wedding. Uh, and so when the Ryan runs out, this poor groom, I mean, he's about to be cancelled, <laughs> uh, ancient, ancient wise, all right? He would carry that for the rest of his life. He would be known as the guy who ran out of wine at his wedding. And so Mary, Jesus' mother, asks her son to do something. Now, given that this is Jesus' very first miracle, it is unlikely that Mary was expecting Jesus to perform a miracle. Uh, what we think was going on was Jesus, Mary just knew Jesus was the most compassionate person she'd ever met, that had ever walked the earth, and that he would move heaven and earth to help this poor groom out. And so what Jesus does was he, he says, okay, he gets the servants to fill these six large stone water jars that were used for ceremonial washing uh, and fill them with water. And when they draw some out and take it to the, the master of the banquet to taste, uh, the water has been turned into fine wine. Now, what's going on here? He has six stone water jars. They each held about 100 litres. So that's 600 litres of fine wine. That's 800 bottles of fine wine. Now, at, say, $100 a bottle, that's $80,000 
worth of fine wine. But it's not the price that, uh, that, that is really surprising here. It's that Jesus made way more wine that would, that would be needed at that wedding. He has a habit of doing that. When he fed the 5,000 or the 4,000, there was always baskets and baskets of leftovers, wasn't there? So why does Jesus keep doing this? Why does he make way more food or wine than could ever be needed? It's because Jesus is the master of the banquet. He is the bringer of so much blessing and so much joy that even when everyone have had their complete fill, there is an abundance still to come. Now, friends, the reason Christians are to be known for our joy is because we worship the person who is the bringer of abundant joy. <clears throat> our God brings so much joy that when we've had our absolute fill of blessing and happiness and joy, there's still way more left than we can ever take in. Now, the greatest joy, of course, is... Peace with God. How does the Collins song go? The greatest treasure in the whole wide world is peace with God. Uh, and, and, and that alone should fill our hearts to the brim. Do you remember that, uh, that episode with Oprah where she gave a car away to every single person in her audience that day? Like you can go look it up on YouTube. The whole audience was literally jumping for joy. Friends, do you understand that a new car is a trinket when compared to salvation? All right, salvation is God taking our infinite debt. That's what we owe for rebelling against our creator. He takes our infinite debt and he doesn't just replace it with no debt. He replaces it with infinite riches. And God did that at the cost of his beloved son. But friends, we need to understand Christian joy doesn't stop at the cross. It starts there. Jesus' very first miracle, all right? This is the thing that Jesus chose to reveal his glory to his disciples. It was making an absolute overabundance of wine so that a wedding party could continue. That's what Jesus is on about. That's the God we worship, brothers and sisters. A God who pours out abundant blessing because he wants us to experience abundant joy in this life even though this life can be bitterly unfair sometimes. So how do we do this? How do we become the kind of Christians who are known for our joy? Well, here's our third piece of application for today. Five simple steps, okay? Step one, if you want to write them down, I highly recommend it. Step one, take your gaze off the difficulties of life. It's not, I'm not saying ignore them. Jesus got really upset sometimes, all right? But if we take our gaze off it uh, when adversity comes, uh, it is easier to become a person known for joy. I mean, for me, I find it very easy just to sit in the dust and mourn. And uh, confession time here, that's what I've actually been doing for the last five or six years. Now, you may not have noticed because like everyone here, uh, we get to see each other at our Sunday best, don't we? All right, got our happy face on. Uh, but I've been going through some stuff in recent years. And the book of Ecclesiastes has just in the last few weeks changed my attitude. All right, I'm choosing not to let hardships keep me down anymore. So step one, let's intentionally take our focus off the things in life that are difficult. Step two, 
is to understand that even though bad things in life happen, God is pouring out his blessing upon you and me every single day. Do you understand that the fact that Australia has not been invaded by an enemy nation right now is God's blessing? Not everyone gets to experience that. The fact that the Australian government is not horribly, evilly oppressing racial or religious minorities is God's blessing. There are people around the world right now who are experiencing that. You understand that, that the fact that you woke up this morning still breathing is God's blessing. Right? Even though life can be incredibly unfair, God is still pouring out his blessing on us day after day. His mercies are new every morning. Step three is we need to search out those blessings. See, while you're intentionally diverting your focus away from your hardships, redirect that focus on your blessings. All right? I got to wake up in a warm bed this morning. I, go, I get three square meals a day uh, today. I get to enjoy a good coffee on the way to work tomorrow. Uh, and I don't have to worry about my kids being kidnapped by Boko Haram on the way to school. All right? Search out these blessings. Step four, be thankful to God for them. Right? Do not ever take God's blessings for granted. As soon as we do that, we become entitled, and as soon as we become entitled, we become miserable. Thank God for those blessings. And then step five, enjoy them. Enjoy God's blessings. Now, I don't, it doesn't mean um, <clears throat> we need to be very careful that we don't make God's blessings our own God. Okay? Uh, the first six sermons of this series were about idolizing things like pleasure and and uh what else like work and um uh, money or fame all right it's very easy to idolize those things but we've already spent six chapters looking uh, at how not to do that uh what it means is just enjoy them for what they are all right don't enjoy your lunch as your god enjoy your lunch as nice food I take pride in your appearance. Now, I don't. I mean that in a Christian way. You do it in, inside your head. Uh, enjoy time with your loved ones. Enjoy a bit of YouTube or Netflix. They're not evil in and of themselves. They're just unhelpful in large quantities. And be satisfied with the work you do tomorrow. Don't don't go to work thinking I'm going to change the world today. You're not. But work is still a good gift from God. And we can enjoy the outcome of our work tomorrow. Brothers and sisters, enjoying God's blessings in life is actually the programmatic theme of the book of Ecclesiastes. This is what the book is about. Kowalet tells us seven times in this book to enjoy God's blessings. And the longest treatment, which is the one we've just looked at, comes sandwiched between two passages on how unfair life is. So my prayer is that this passage will transform you like it's already transformed me. Uh, may we stop being the kind of Christians who are just as miserable as the rest of society. We're supposed to stand out. All right? Being just like society benefits no, no one. Uh, let us stand out as God's children who acknowledge, yes, acknowledge life is bitterly unfair at times, but we are intentional 
in focusing on God's blessings, thanking God for those blessings, and enjoying those blessings. Let us be Christians who stand out for our joy.